Welcome to the Global Hearted Podcast, where your heart for people around the world can deepen, and where you can be empowered to better reflect Jesus and His heart for all to know Him. I'm Jason Paulson, here with Anthony Taylor for today's discussion. Hey listeners, since this episode is going to be discussing a chapter in the Bible that you might discuss with some of your friends who do not regularly read the Bible, we're going to read the chapter before we start into the podcast so that you can be thinking about it as you listen to our discussion. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome, and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and for years. Let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swam and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of every kind of the earth. And it was so. And God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all of the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with its seed with seed in its fruit you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that everything he had made, indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Well, Anthony, in our last episode, we uh, were talking about um, reading Genesis with our Muslim friends, uh, specifically kind of the start of Genesis 1. And we talked about how uh, this narrative um, has contrasts with the world's approach to power. We talked about how the structure of the narrative shows us uh, more about God's character. And we were talking about how God in his character uh, is not maintaining social distance, but intimately involved in the key creative acts. And I think you're going to just run down some of that involvement that God has in creation for us. Sure, Jason. As we see, as we work through the chapter, we see that you know, God spoke the light into existence in verse three. And he spoke to make the waters gather, which enabled the dry land to appear in verse nine. And then he spoke to the earth to produce vegetation in verse 11. And, you know, if we read that, we could say that this implies a level of social distance and creating by regal fiat. God is the creator king. And he commands, and amazingly enough, this stuff happens. This is the the power of God being revealed. Um, And yet, the narrative uses two verbs to show God's active involvement in the creative process. And the verbs are create, in English, how we render those verbs, is uh, to create and to make. The verb to make is used elsewhere in the scriptures, to speak of a potter working with his hands. And, and this is the image the verb would have created in the reader's minds. We don't have that here, but because it's not our language. And so, but the idea is we, we do get when you think about people making something, they're actually working with their hands to, to make it happen. And um, so that's the image that would have been created in the reader's minds. And in verse one, in the first verse, we see that God created the heavens and the earth. 
um, you know, he's, he made all these things. He, in verse 7, he made the sky and he separated the waters above from the waters below. Um, now, this is kind of a difficult image for us because we're sitting here, what does that mean? But if you're thinking like a, you know, like an ancient person in the ancient world and you're standing on the earth, uh, you see the clouds above and you see, you know, the earth below. This isn't meant to be a, you know, a, um, a 19th, 20th century, 21st century science, ex you know, explanation. It's what a person would have seen and, and that period of time, they saw waters above and they saw waters below. So, and God made the sky and he separated the waters of, above from the waters below. And then in verse 16, God made the great lights and he sets them in the heavens. In verse 21, God created the sea creatures, the fish and the birds. In verse 25, God made the animals. And then in verse 26 and 27, God created and made human beings in his image. And these verbs are there to show us God's intimate involvement in the work of creation. It's not just a, a kingly fiat, let there be, and it was, and it was. Um, it's God's, it's meant to show this intimate involvement. And then if we, you know, go beyond that, we see that God interacts with humans after making them in this image. God talks to them and he blesses and he authorizes them to be fruitful and to multiply. And he asks them to fill the earth and to subdue it. So God acts as the creator king with all authority because he commissions the humans. And in this commissioning and being the creator king, um, in, in the ancient world, submission to this creator king would have been a normal expectation arising from the commissioning. Um, so that would have been understood as well. You know, we have to submit to this creator king. Nonetheless, the verbs and the passage emphasize God's release of humanity to be and to grow. And this isn't all. God's commissioning of the humans does not just undermine ancient expectations of what status and power should look like. It's radically subversive. And it undermines the entire established social order in that ancient world. Because in the ancient world, only rulers had the claim to be God's divine representatives on earth. This, des this designation enhanced their status and served to maintain order, hindering resistance and rebellion. You know, because this guy is huge. He's a divine agent. You don't go against the gods. I mean, you don't rebel against the gods by rebelling against the, you know, their representative. And yet, in stark contrast, this creation narrative states that all humans, rich and poor alike, Males and females are God's regal representatives, and they all have equal share in exercising God's dominion. And beyond that, these verses undermine the ancient and, sadly, the modern sexist notion that men are inherently better than women. 
women and men are equally made in God's image and appointed to be God's regal representatives. Um, and it's interesting because these verses do not define for us what it means to be made in God's image. You know, we just see that they're made in his image, but that there's no detail to that. And yet, the verses make sure we know unquestionably that both women and men are made in his image and they're commissioned. And <clears throat> so if you were to read, you know, open up your, your Bible to the first chapter, you know, it all looks like prose, except you get to verse 27. And verse 27 in many of the Bibles is put, you know, it's, it's poetry. It shifts in genre from prose to poetry in verse 27. And then it shifts right back into prose in verse 28. And in verse 27, it's, that's where it says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so why the shift there? That's that shift in genre is to emphasize who it is that's made in God's image. And it's males, men, and women. Male and female, he created them both. So um, <clears throat> this is, you know, this it the text by genre shift is emphasizing this. We're supposed to catch it because in the ancient world, women were seen as, in, you know, inherently inferior. And this is saying, no, this is not the case. And yet, you know, if it's not pointed out to us, we just kind of overlook it. We don't see the significance of it because, you know, we're not, you know, Hebrew isn't our language. And, you know, we're not necessarily trained to think that a shift in genre is really significant, but it is. So, um, and so then the question goes, how do we learn what being in God's image and likeness means? And God intends for us to continue to read through Genesis to learn what God is like by the way he acts and relates to his creation. And then God expects us humans who are made in his image to image him in the ways we live and we work and we relate to others. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of the text. It doesn't answer all our questions. It enables us to have questions. And then in th that, that curiosity compels us to keep reading on. You know, it's the spark and interest. And what's, what's next so I can answer this question? And then the narrative ends with God resting on the seventh day and setting the day apart. Though the narrative doesn't explain why this is important, you know, again, why is this seven days so important? Um, we know it's significant because this is where the, the narrative comes to an end. A French theologian uh, named Henri Blochet, he described the creation of human beings as the pinnacle of creation. And, but he said it wasn't the goal. The goal of the creation was the seventh day. And so to find out what the seventh day fully means, you know, Jewish people would have understood it as, as they read at this time, because they would have, you know, been, um, would have had the tradition for many, many years. But, um, you know, we do, if we're a novice to the, to the scriptures, we have to read on to 
in the Bible to discover its full meaning. And as we read on, we, it appears that the goal for all of this creative activity by God was the creation of a, this divine human community. And we read about the Sabbath in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. And, you know, those books explain what God intended for the community. In the fourth commandment in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, the Israelites were to work six days. But on the seventh day, no one was allowed to work. In the creation, God revealed himself as a God at work. Human beings made in God's image were also to work. So this is work is one of the ways we exercise our limited dominion and to accomplish the tasks that arise in the exercise of our limited dominion. We as humans have to create social hierarchies because we're created with different gifts. There are those who have the gifts of leadership and there are those with other gifts. And so due to the task oriented nature of our role as divine representatives, hierarchies, social hier hierarchies have to come into existence. And yet these hierarchies aren't supposed to be demonstrate, you know, um, that we're superior to one another. They're just supposed to be functional. They serve a limited purpose. Those in leadership aren't to think that they're superior to those under them. And to help us keep that balance, God gave us the Sabbath. Because this is the day that tasks and hierarchies are eliminated. Nobody can do any work, not even the animals. <clears throat> and so those higher up in the functional hierarchies were not allowed to force anyone to work on the Sabbath. And the seventh day rest appears to have been God's plan to provide a necessary framework for the task-oriented community to reorientate itself and regard one another as equals and as significant. Because on this day, everyone is released to celebrate the person and the presence of God in their midst. And they're all released to celebrate the persons and the presence of one another in their community. So, you know, this, this radically different vision of power and status was intended to spark, you know, the imaginations of those who received this initially. And it's, a, it's to spark our imaginations. And it's, it's to motivate us to align our ways with God's character. God, who is vastly superior to everything that he has made, and he's overall, he, he gives absolutely no reason for why he has done all this creative work. And the narrative makes it clear that um, he's not looking for us to serve him. You know, rather, he, it, 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 as you read it, it, we see that he's creating a universe and a world for us humans to live in and walk with and enjoy him. And <clears throat> the narrative expects us to realize that God has done all this because he is love. And his love moves him to be self-giving and life-giving. And through the subtlety of the narrative, God waits for us to awaken to his beauty and majesty and, and to allow his spirit, who, you know, at the beginning is just hovering over the surface of the waters, 
just as God is about to create, do all this creative activity. We're to allow his spirit to conform us to his wonderful image and likeness, to his humility, his generosity, and his love. Yeah, I, Anthony, I think that that um, thinking through that, allowing his spirit to conform us is part of why we read the Bible like this with our Muslim friends, because we want his spirit to move us as he is moving them so that together we can see more of his character, his beauty and his majesty, uh, like you were saying. Um, and so I really appreciate how you're you're showing us that even as we're reading, this reading can be a way um, for us to model the humility and the um, not social hierarchy nature that God is, is talking about here in with the seventh day in Genesis. Thanks for joining us on the Global Hearted Podcast. If you have more questions about how you can find ways to follow Jesus around the globe, or if you have questions you would like to hear Anthony answer, email us at anthony.taylor at globalhearted.com. Or to hear more episodes, go to globalhearted.com. And now receive a good word. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.